0: This is episode number 51 with Eli Block. The Melissa Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe to uncover the habits, habits mindsets, mindset. tools, and rituals that they have used to become world so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell you two very exciting things. You can now pre-order my next book, Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And if you pre-order before the 18th of December, you can get your hands on some epic bonuses such as retreats, juju cups, hotels, jade eggs, organic makeup, a Holden car for a weekend, books, meditations, and even a scholarship to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. How epic is that? All you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide. And on that page, you will find all all the details to pre-order and claim your bonuses. So head there now. The second super exciting announcement is that my husband and I are collaborating to bring you the Open Wide Tour around Australia in January and February 2018. This is a celebration of Nick's music and to celebrate the release of my next book, Open Wide. Now imagine a TED Talk meets Coldplay concert. It's a fusion of music, meditation, and motivation, and you can get your tickets for that at nickandmelissa.com. Eli has been a meditator since childhood, lucky him, and is an orgasmic meditation teacher and senior facilitator and director of the men's program at One Taste. He is also a speaker and recently was invited to be a guest lecturer for Tony Robbins coaching staff, which is pretty cool. In today's episode, we chat about what is orgasmic meditation and how this sacred practice can change your life. You'll learn about Eli's journey to orgasmic meditation how to practice orgasmic meditation, including a step-by-step explanation and starter tips for the newbies, the power of focused attention and how it can transform your spiritual and sensual experiences, my own personal orgasmic meditation experience and why I love it, the benefits of orgasmic meditation, the importance of releasing your sexual energy in order to be the best version of yourself, why women want to avoid being too tumescent and what this can do to your life, plus so much more. For everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 51. Without further ado, let's bring on this amazing human being, Eli Block. Eli, it is so great to have you on the show, and I'm so excited for today's conversation. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning?
1: I had some scrambled eggs and some almond butter and a cup of mint tea.
0: Mm. So tell us about your journey and how you got to where you are today.
1: Uh, I was working at Apple for about five and a half years and was working with a guy who was just terrible with women. I mean, I could get by on my looks. I could get by on my humor and my charm. This guy had none of those things. You know, he tried everything to meet women. He went on vacation for like a week and came back. And I got to tell you, there was just something different about this man when he walked in the door. I couldn't have told you what it was, but he walked in and something was just different. Like just palpably different. I have a very good sense of intuition. I always have. And there was just something different about this guy. So over the next couple of weeks, everything about the way that we worked got turned on its head. He started being the magnetic one. He started being the one people wanted to be around. And it was really confronting actually to my, to my uh, sort of uh, uh, very big and, and very fragile ego. And we would uh, go to lunch every now and then. So I took him to lunch and I just asked him, I said, okay, what is it that you're doing? You know, what is it, what, what's going on, man? Like, how is your life going? And he wouldn't tell me what had changed. It was infuriating. He just said, "Oh yeah, things are going real good." I I can see that, you know. But what what is it? And eventually, I pried it out of him, and he tells me. He says, "I'm doing this practice. I'm doing this practice, and I'm and I'm, I'm trying this this uh, lifestyle. I'm adopting this lifestyle where I'm living from desire. But more to the point, I'm doing this practice where I'm stroking a woman's genitals for 15 minutes." In a goalless way. And I'm not getting anything. Like she's not like doing something to me in in return. It's totally non reciprocal in that way, but it's changing my life. And I remember in that moment, like being at the very front of my consciousness and kind of running to the back of my skull, pulling down a big blackboard and doing the math on this and being like, okay, let me see if I get this straight. Genital stroking plus this loser equals fulfillment. The regular math of my brain that's always so concerned with is it fair? What's in it for me? When do I get mine? Like, just so inwardly focused is trying to do the math on this equation. I cannot figure it out. And I said something to him, like, oh, like, sounds good to you. I was skeptical and dismissive. And about two years later, I'm like scrolling through my contacts and I see this guy's name float by. And I'm like, oh my God, that guy. So I, I texted him and said, you know, are you still doing that thing? And is it still as good as it was when you started? And he said, yeah, it's even better. I said, okay, I got to learn. I started doing this work in uh, about 2007, 2008. And so now I'm, I'm you know, a nine-year practitioner of orgasmic meditation. I lead the men's program here at One Taste. So I go out and essentially talk about the benefits of, of what it is that we do. And I think everyone should know about because I think it's really, it's really what's important.
0: Amazing. Right. For people who have no idea what it looks like, what orgasmic meditation looks like, can you just paint the picture for us of exactly what happens?
1: Orgasmic meditation is a practice. One Taste is the company which is bringing that to the world. It's a wellness and lifestyle company providing you know, courses and mindfulness practices, in particular orgasmic meditation. And OM, specifically, improves well-being, focus, and emotional intelligence, connection, fulfillment, all these amazing benefits that we found. The science is being done on it right now. What the practice actually is, and man, there are many different levels, but if I was to show it to you and videotape it, what you would see is you would see two people it's a partnered practice. It's a practice which always involves someone else. You cannot do it by yourself.
0: Does it have to be one male, one female?
1: No, in fact it doesn't. It's it, it has to be one person with a clitoris and one person with a finger. Great. So, uh, so however you however you gender identify. Home starts with your hardware, not with your software. So you got to have a clitoris somewhere in the equation. And so what happens is because it's not it's not actually a sexuality practice, we don't do it as a form of foreplay. Om is is primarily first and foremost what you might what, mess, what might be best described as a consciousness practice. And what that means is that it's a practice which actually builds focus. It's not a place to go to kind of check out into like eternal bliss or like try to escape from what's happening. It's actually something which is meant to draw you into the very present moment. And the way that it does that is it involves two partners, like I said, and one person, the clitoris having person, undresses from the waist down, so doesn't take off any more or keeps on any less clothing than is needed. So they just take off their pants and they lie down in what's called a nest. And a nest is the orgasmic meditation equivalent of what you would use in some other practices like a yoga mat or a meditation cushion. And it's the place where you do your practice, you set it up for your practice. And when your practice is done, you take it down. So it's a very specific physical context for what you're doing. So you set up a nest, which is usually a blanket uh, that gets laid down on the ground and a few pillows to support uh, the legs and things. So uh, we'll, we'll say, it's a woman, you know, some, again, I, I'm, I'm sensitive to how people you know describe gender pronouns are important. But for simplicity in this conversation, we'll just say it. Let's just say it's a, a standard heterosexual couple, whatever that means these days, right? So you've got a woman who lies down. She butterflies her legs open and he will take a Zafu meditation cushion or something firm, place it next to her uh, hip on the right side of her body. And then he'll sit down. He'll put one leg over the center of her body. So literally he's sitting at a perpendicular angle to her body. He's facing straight ahead. If he were to look straight down, He would see her genitals right below him. His left hand or his left elbow rests on his left knee, and there's you know there's plenty of schematics of this at at onetaste.us, which is our website. As you can see, it describing it isn't always the easiest. And essentially, they follow a protocol, so it's it's the same every single time. Orgasmic meditation is always fifteen minutes. It follows a certain procedure, you know, every single time, which we can talk about exactly why that is and why it's so important. But basically, he'll uh, put some gloves on, some very, uh, very thin uh, gloves, vinyl gloves or, you know, some kind of uh, maybe latex, if that's your thing, whatever.
0: Does he have to wear gloves?
1: The gloves are important. We say that gloves are a part of the practice for two reasons. And that's because on the one hand, you're wanting to separate the context of the practice from your sex life. It's super important to do that because you want ohm as a thing to come back to for connection. The gloves help to consciously define that what you're doing right now is not a sex act. It's a practice. For the most part, women are giving all of the time. You know, you guys are, are, are socially conditioned here in the Western world uh, to be givers and to be empty givers at that, to, to not receive. That's sort of the number one thing that I hear from women is, um, I'm great at giving and I have no idea how to actually receive. Like, it's uncomfortable. I don't like it. Um, I'd rather we keep the attention off of me in that way. It's just not what I prefer to do. I, I can't relax. Like, this is sort of the constant... You know, this is the constant dialogue that I have with, with women who want to know more about this practice. And so what a lot of guys don't get is that that conditioning is really, really deep such that if you give your woman a massage, for example, or you do some active service with her and then you lie down to talk to her or you make some move where her attention is going to come back out on you, that's going to piss her off. And so the, the actual thing to do in that case is like, you got to learn how to be nobody and how to be a, a really good nobody. Like in Zen, it's like when you make an offering to an altar, you're kind of nobody. Like the altar doesn't look back at you and say, darling, that was such a beautiful offering. It just sits there. And so what, what are you doing it for? You're not doing it for any kind of praise. You're not doing it for any kind of recompense of any kind of way. You don't look there. You don't sit and ask the Buddha, when do I get mine? right? There's, there's something just about the offering. So what I told them is you want to, what you actually want to do is you want to get out of her field without any trace of any kind of pull on her system. And so that means like, you don't even want to ask her, how was it just leave her. And then the master play is to go get something she's going to want like a glass of water or tea or who knows what it is. You got to know you got every, every guy's got to have a notepad on his phone where he records his women's preferences. Right. And so you got to look in your little index. You got to figure out what the thing is you got to, or have it ready. Jesus Christ, have it ready before you start and then bring it in there, enter her field again, deliver it and then leave cleanly once again. Like that to me is like, that's how you let a woman know. Like, I'm full and this one's for you. And so what happens during that 15 minutes when they're in the nest is that the only thing for both people to do is to put their attention on the point of connection between them. And in orgasmic meditation, the point of connection between two people is the clitoris. Well, that's, that's the point on her body. The point on his body is the tip of the, lex- the left index finger. And essentially what you're doing is you're taking the most complex set of nerve endings in the human body, the most dense set of nerve endings in the human body, the the most sensitive spot that exists on any human body. So like on my body, there is no place that has the density and concentration and nerve count as the clitoris is the most sensitive spot you can find on any human ever. And then I'm pairing that with the most dexterous part of the human body you've got more fine muscle control with the left with not just the left but with the index finger than you do with any other part and so you're pairing the highest degree of sensitivity and the highest degree of potential skill i should say potential sensitivity and potential skill together and what happens is well there's a lot of things that happen But both people put their their full attention on the spot of connection. And really what we're talking about here is it's a stroking practice. And when I say stroking, it's like it's not a rub. It's a stroke. And it's not a hard stroke. It's a stroke where if you take your your finger and just place it, close your eye and place your finger on the uh, top of your eyelid, the tender tissue of your eyelid, very gently stroke it it's using about that much pressure. And the only thing to do during this experience is for both people to put their full attention on what's happening at that point of connection. So in regular meditation, you know, most of the focus practice is on your breath. Maybe it's a candle, maybe it's a mantra. There's a bunch of different styles of doing that. Uh, In this greatest practice of the world, you're putting your full attention on the point of connection between two people at the clitoris and the finger. And you know, Yeah, well you might ask because people ask like, well, you know, people have been stroking genitals for, you know, the last several million years, Melissa. What's so special about this? I get in front of a room and I start talking about this practice, and I'm like, you know, I don't know if you guys have realized. I feel a little ridiculous sometimes, you know, in sort of a funny way, because people know there's something special about this, but I'm always like, Well, you know, have you guys noticed that stroking genitals is outstanding? (laughs) It's it's actually an incredibly friendly thing to do and like start talking about it. It's sort of like this this very basic sort of primal truth that people know, but again, the, the, the container of the practice is what makes the practice work. For most women, they've been taught that if you're quote unquote receiving, you better pay really good attention uh, to how long it's been, uh, how good it was, uh, and all these things, because guess what, honey, you're going to have to, you're going to have to do as good or better to him once it's done in order
0: for things to be fair. Mm, Oh, yeah. And I'm sure you have just struck a chord with a lot of women because this is something that I personally struggled with receiving, not just from my lover, but just even receiving a compliment or receiving a gift or receiving, you know, money from my parents if they wanted to give me some money for my birthday or something like that, just receiving in any way, receiving a hug. It's something that I really had to work on in my early 20s. And I became aware of it very, very early on. I was about 23. And when I became aware of it, I really started to shift it. And so, for the rest of you know my 20s, I was really mindful of um being okay with receiving and receiving without any expectations and just allowing because there is that ebb and flow in every relationship and it's changed my life. Being able to openly receive has changed my life and also giving without expectation as well. And my husband and I have practiced OM, and it took us even deeper, which was so beautiful. And a couple of things that we noticed was how much we needed to let go of the expectations, the agendas, the outcomes, and how much I needed to surrender. Because like you said, it's not a sexual act. It's about letting go. It's about presence. Like You are the most present. ever be. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful practice. And it's about receiving. It's about being wide open on all levels, which is what my next book is about. It's called Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And I dive deep into some of the benefits of opening yourself up on all levels. So, tell me, What are some of the common things that other people have noticed? You know, these are just some of the things that I've noticed about letting go and presence and surrendering. What are some of the other things that other people have experienced when practicing OM?
1: That's a great question. And I'm actually, I'm really looking forward to your book. I hope you, I hope I can can find that when it comes out.
0: Yeah, I'll send you a copy. Don't worry.
1: I'm really excited for that. In terms of the benefits of the practice. People notice a lot of different benefits. Chiefly among them, enhanced focus and clarity, more energy, more vitality, increased sex drive. OM really messes with your brain in terms of your your sense of like giving and receiving. Most of the time, when we're talking about giving or receiving, you know, we're we're essentially talking about a transaction. And whether we kind of like it or not, we're accessing what most people, what some people would call the the dual mind when we talk about giving and receiving. So if I'm giving to you, well, then there's something that's being transacted. It's traveling from me to you. And then you've got something and I've got less of something. And people say, well, you know, with love, it's infinite. And, and so there's no way that you can ever give too much away or anything along those lines. And that understanding comes from what's called the non-dual mind, which is that essentially if I sit down and I'm stroking and I'm actually doing it for my own pleasure, which is the instruction that we give strokers, is you have to be able to receive through your finger. Because it's it's funny, people say, um, you know, the, the practice is about receiving, and they sort of point to the woman. And I'm like, oh, actually, um, both positions in the practice are reception positions.
0: Oh, totally. My husband was every time we finished, he was like, thank you so much. Like, I don't think you understand how much I just got out of that. And it was really beautiful to hear him say that.
1: Yeah. And I have a regular experience of, um, in fact, it just happened in London this last weekend. I was at our coaching program weekend and, you know, uh, invariably a woman will get up during, during the, the, you know, time for sharing and whatnot. And she'll, look around and she'll find a gentleman who is her stroker in their morning ohm And she'll say, you know, this is just a random name, but Oh, uh, uh hi. Uh, uh, I just want to say, um, Dave, like, thank you so, so much for such an amazing ohm this morning. I felt so great and all these things. And the thing I always have to stop and, and say to her in a moment like that is, is, Hey, like, um, uh, you actually receiving all of the strokes is actually what we're there for. When, when a woman actually opens all the way up and, and, and receives, it makes those around her into geniuses. Like there is, a, is an old adage that we use here, which is that um, if a woman is turned off, you can do no right. And if she's turned on, you can do no wrong. So true. And that's, and that's <laughs> yeah. true. It's like, I, you know, I do demonstrations of this practice on a regular basis. And when I put my finger down and I start stroking, this is in front of a room full of people. If the woman, if the person I'm stroking doesn't want to receive, or you know, she doesn't want to actually. Uh, if she's not saying yes to every single stroke, and, and you'll know if she is or if she's not. I look like a dumbass. I look like some schmuck up there just stroking this woman's genitals, and there's nothing happening. Whereas if she has a deep, open receiving channel, and she's actually receiving the strokes, that's also obvious. And I look like a genius. I look like a master stroker. I look like this amazing guy because on some level, my finger is uh, certainly a, an aspect. My skill level is definitely an aspect to her, um, you know, to her, you know, getting, you know, getting pleasure and feeling pleasure and all that kind of stuff. And the practice starts and ends with her willingness to open up. I'm both entirely powerless over a woman in that kind of situation, and I can be kind of infinitely skillful. But well, let, me, let me answer your question again about what kind of benefits people, people uh, find. I'll tell you one thing I hear a lot. And this is something I've been hearing a lot more and more recently. Women come up to me and they say, they say, Eli, or I know I'm this woman inside. I've got this amazing woman inside. And I feel like um, I've been in my masculine for a really long time. That's, that's what I hear on a regular basis is, you know, I've been in business. I've been, you know, sort of taking care of a lot of people. I feel kind of tired and wired. I keep trying to fill this sense of hunger that I have with, you know, the shopping and the consumption, but nothing's quite hitting the spot. But I feel, I feel kind of masculine. And what I, what I think is really interesting and, and the thing people don't often see there, um, which after they start the practice, after they actually start, you know, this lifestyle, which changes is that, um, they're not actually masculine. That's sort of a, a, a funny misnomer. What they are is something else. What they are is what's called Tumest. And what Tumescence is, is uh, it's this funny word that in the 80s had this kind of uh, a romance novel uh, context, which was like, it, it, it literally means engorged or swollen in some way. And the way it would be is like, you know, he um, withdrew his "tumest member or something like that, you know, and like some cheesy romance thing. But it literally means just engorged. And what most guys don't understand, what most people don't understand, uh, is that women walk around with a tremendous amount of unused sexual energy in their bodies. With men, it's kind of just localized uh, to our genitals. You know, guys will talk about blue balls and things like that. What we don't realize is that you guys are walking around with some version of that all over your body all the time. This sort of like vague irritation, sort of like subtle irritation that unless you're moving the energy in your body in some way, uh, doesn't really go away. And so it's what makes women um, irritable. It was makes you guys um, sort of like sensitive and frustrated. cry, frustrated, all these different symptoms. It's, it's what we refer to as tumescence. And the interesting thing is that because masculine just sort of sounds like it's just kind of like, a, uh, it just sounds like the closest thing to describe what she's feeling. Cause usually the feeling is some sort of like um, lack of access to some kind of internal flow inside of her, that there's some kind of flow, some kind of, um, I've heard it referred to like, almost like a a juiciness or like a, what we would call like her turn on, like this access to like that sort of joyful, bottomless part of a woman that's just organically there. Um, She's lost some part of that. She feels rigid in some way. And that rigidity gets kind of, you know, she reads a few self-help books and sort of goes to some conferences or whatnot. And she goes, aha, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm masculine. And it's actually not that at all. What actually happened is she's frozen, not masculine. And so what needs to happen is that that frozenness, the sort of um, stuckness of all that sexual energy, um, it needs to get thawed out. And what's needed in order to thaw anything out is a regular experience of heat applied to the thing which is frozen. So orgasmic meditation is heat in a number of different ways. It's stroking, so it's literally, it's quite literally friction on the clitoris, and friction generates heat. So you're literally physically going to unthaw your genitals with this practice. That's one thing. And then the second is it's also mentally and sort of psychologically unthawing because, again, there's this very frozen notion of a woman in a position of giving, 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 sort of frozen in this position And the practice reverses that. She actually has to begin to develop an identity of laying on her back consciously with the lights on, right? Not like your regular sex, you know, sex life where maybe you just lie there and check out, or maybe you just lie there and you're not quite sure what to do. So you, you know, start thinking about stuff in your head, who knows what it is, but it starts to create a groove where her identity becomes receiving. And if your identity begins to to include receiving, your identity can begin to include worthiness. And if your identity can begin to include worthiness, you begin to feel like you matter, that your desire matters, and you begin to speak more of your desires. You begin to correct people if they don't get it right from you, not from a position of um, lack or feeling like uh, the world is happening to you or, or that you're a victim in some way, but actually that your desire is important and it's needed to actually make the world work properly.
0: Wow. Okay. This is just mind blowing because so many women that I come across say exactly that. They they feel like they have lost that juice or they're disconnected from that juicy divine essence that they know is deep within them. So I love that this really helps us unlock that. And when we unlock that, that's when life starts to flow so much more effortlessly. And I love that you said, you said, you know, we have this orgasmic energy constantly running through our body. And if it's not being expressed, it's kind of just, if it's and not being expressed,
1: it's, it's being, it's being too messed.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Now I'm a serial monogamist and. So for me personally, the idea of practicing on um, with someone other than my husband doesn't really resonate with me, but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the difference between practicing with your partner and practicing with someone else or, you know, practicing with your partner and other people as well. Because, well, for me, that desire and feeling of feeling safe is very important to me. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Every form of this practice has its own unique benefits and its own unique challenges. There's often sort of a sense of like, oh, like thank God I'm in a relationship. It's going to be so much easier to practice. Well, it is, except for the fact that you really, really, really are very strongly ego-identified with your relationship with your partner.
0: Mm, It's true.
1: Right, so so it's like it's like yeah. There's a feeling of safety and a feeling of comfort, but there's also this sense of like of like okay, like I actually like I know this person, like I know them so well, and like you know you lie down to have the own, and whether we like it or not, we kind of paint our partners with our conditioning. You know, they haven't done anything wrong, but we we know them, and so we have these we have these sort of like deep attachments and deep habits and deep patterns which the practice is fantastic at actually helping to dissolve and help to see. And so I'd say that, you know, the, obviously having a partner, you know, already there, having someone who you not just know, like, and trust, but are in a deep relationship with, as I am, is, is really fantastic and advantageous in a lot of ways. And you'll get a lot out of the practice. There, there's sort of different ways that the practice can be used. That's actually, there's, a, there's, a, there's as much complexity in how orgasmic meditation can be practiced, as there would be in how one could play a musical instrument all the way up to the level of like yo-yo ma, you know, sort of merging with the cello. That's the that the relationship side is is fantastic. It takes you deeper, it gets you saying truths you wouldn't normally say. It can start to break up some of the sense of like, again, that that normal conditioning, which whether we like to, whether we like to sort of confront it dead on or not, part of what tends to happen, because it's what we've been taught to do again. Is that women tend to be self-depriving and men tend to waste a lot of their attention on dumb things. <laughs> I'm told, I'll just say it how it is. Like before I started the practice, I was I was sort of this bachelory kind of guy, and I had all my collections of records and cards and all kinds of well categorized man hobby, you know, kind of stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it what it says to me is I had an excess of attention. I had a tremendous amount of attention I had no idea what to do with and we even have cultural conventions for places that men are legally allowed to withdraw their attention you know the the man cave you know for example you know these these sort of like legal these like culturally adopted legal places where I'm allowed to say I'm in my man cave and I'm taking my attention off of you you know and I'm and I'm there and I'm watching you know, what's the typical stereotype I'm watching football or UFC or drinking some beers with the guys or whatever. But there's a place where I can go uh, that I can relax my attention and I can I can consume it um, on sort of I can basically turn it inwards on myself. And with women, There's sort of like a self depriving program, which as we just talked about, like, you know, if if you're not feeling like you're worth it or that you can ask for as much attention as you want, like 99.999% of women do not ask for like a tenth of the attention they actually want the way that they want it. So what is she going to say? Her program is perfectly you know, functioning along with his program. And it's this really peculiar equation. Where you've got one person who has this vast universe, this woman who has this vast universe of feminine inside of her that that wants to be expressed and wants to be explored and actually needs connection to do it. She doesn't get that with her vibrator. She doesn't get that alone, going solo. Right? There's a reason you know that that orgasmic meditation is a partnered practice because you can't take yourself out of control. You, you can't hi, you can't high five yourself. You. You know, you can't tickle yourself spontaneously. None of these things you can do by yourself. And that's, that's why OM is a partnered practice. And so she necessarily actually needs a partner in order to access this part of herself that she, she just can't do it by herself. And so, you know, so she's sort of there, you know, dumbing down her, her, uh, her uh, desire for attention, sort of short ordering her attention, you know, typical woman pattern. I want the steak, but I'm going to order the salad, just, you know, to be a good woman and not want too much, not take up too much space. And, uh, and then there he is, you know, kind of with a sense of entitlement that, that my attention can all belong to me. And I think in relationship, all that stuff flies out the window. I mean, if it depends what kind of relationship you want, if you want a relationship, I think that's, you know, based in comfort and kind of based in, in sort of a static sense of roles, then, then maybe it's a different, it's a different path for you, but your listeners and your podcast and and women who are coming here, this is a new woman. This is a woman who actually wants to wake up in her life. And I think in order to wake up, we got to put those habits aside. And, and, you know, for a guy, I got to admit that I'm actually not so great at where I put my attention. I actually, the reason I'm in a relationship with my wife is because she's got a big appetite and I got a lot of spare attention. I'm a, I'm a, a powerhouse. And if I don't actually have somewhere to put all that attention, something in, inside of her that wants to be expressed, then um, I'm going to waste. And so, for relationships, ohm for us is a is a regular daily reminder of the way things ought to be, which is that she's got this this gorgeous thing in there that actually um, wants to come out and wants to be bright and, and and have a lot of attention on it, not the other way around. And I have an abundance of attention that when it's on her, my heart gets to come out. I have all these amazing benefits of actually having someone. That is a focus practice for me to to get my attention. It's a good excuse to get my attention out. I'm not doing it for her. She's not doing it for me. We're using, uh, as they would say in the flow world, we're bootstrapping our biology in order to get the best out of both of us.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm just nodding the whole way because it just resonates so much with what was unfolding with my husband and I, when we were practicing religiously, you know, daily, we were doing twice a day, but we have fallen off the bandwagon. And what would you say for people, you know, do you think it has to be done every single day, twice a day? Do you think tapping in and out, you know, what, what do you think?
1: You know, Melissa, the truth is that the practice benefits are cumulative. It's the same as yoga. You know, if you want, if you want yoga hips, um, if you want those like open hips, you got to go every day. There's just, there's just, there's no cheating it. This is not, this practice does not respond to spiritual bypass. A woman's genitals, you cannot think a woman's genitals into, uh, being stroked. It doesn't work that way. You either, there's a finger on your clitoris or there's not, you know, it's like, it's kind of that simple. And so, um it's as Nicole, who's the founder of the organization would say, um, orgasm pretty blue collar. You know, it, it just, it just, it's either you're showing up and you're doing the, you're doing the daily grind or, or, or it's not, you know, um, I heard a quote a while ago, which says, uh, a lot of people say they're too busy to meditate. Um, and I asked them, are, are they too busy to feel like crap?
0: <laughs> mm, it's so true. It's so true. I wonder, you know, what will happen if, because I meditate twice a day for 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, and I, when we were practicing daily twice a day as well, I cannot tell you how incredible I felt. And the proof is in the pudding. It really, really is. So if someone is listening and they're thinking, hmm, I want to give this a try, what's the first step for them?
1: Well, the first step would be, uh, you know, if you're in the United States and you're near uh, a, a major city, so specifically um, Los Angeles or, or San Francisco or New York, uh, or maybe you're in Europe and you can get to London easily, those are the places where there are the largest ohm practitioner communities and where there is the, the most regular classes. We teach a class pretty much every week in those cities somewhere between 30 and 50 people per class. And then there's uh, the other option is if you're not and you're at home and you're just sort of wanting to get onto this thing, you can do a couple of things. You can go to our website, which is us, And there's a free product on there called Ohm 101, um, which you can check out and will guide you through the very beginning of the practice. We have a, a free timer on there. Um, that's a narrated timer, which will, which will take you through the entire practice. Um, and the thing that I'll say is that the practice is, is uh, fantastic, and it's it's really the heart of what we do. But unless it's paired with education about what actually begins to happen when you begin to you know quote unquote turn on, as we call it, both from the stroker side and the strokey side, we don't we don't call it giver or receiver. We call it stroker stroke-y and strokey again because we're trying to trying to you know kind of um, uh, 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 get out of that sort of dual mindset. Because um, both people are are fully involved, and both people have their own set of benefits in the practice. Um, there's no lack in the practice. Um, you actually are going. You're actually going. You know. You're actually going to need some some training on how to be with the the people who uh, come out of the practice. Because who goes in is not who comes out.
0: Wow. So true. And I love what you say, you know, there is no receiver and there is no giver because you're both receiving and you're both giving. And I'll put a link to the website and everything that we've mentioned so far in the show notes. So people can check it out if that's something that they are interested in exploring further, whether with their partner or by themselves. Um, But I would love to shift gears a little bit now. This has been, by the way, mind blowing and so beneficial and lots of the things that you have mentioned are what I talk about in open wide and especially around the masculine and feminine which is something that I'm so truly deeply passionate about um not only within our relationships but within ourselves and I feel like you know us women are so divorced from that divine feminine beautiful essence that we have like what we we spoke about before that juiciness as you want to call it um and this is what open wide is all about is about helping women reconnect with their true essence. I call it your God essence. Um, I help women, you know, reconnect with that beautiful God essence that's deep within and,
1: and darkness as well.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. It's about reconnecting with ourselves. I feel like, like you said before, you know, there's the ping, the ping's always pulling us out of the present moment and distracting us, but the real juice is in the present moment. That's what, you know, this book is about. So I want to shift gears a little bit and I want to focus on you a bit now. Um, what's bringing you the most joy in your life right now?
1: Learning how to meet people on their terms. I would say, um, you know, I I travel a lot. This thing has had, frankly, being a stroker. I mean, you know, stroking, stroking genitals for the last nine years. You know, between two and four times a day is joyful, and there's a certain set of benefits that that creates in a person. But. It's a pretty alien thing. It can be really difficult to describe that to somebody to actually bring the kinds of experiences that I've had kind of down to the street level and, and really talk to people about why this is important and what's in it for them on some level. And I would say one of the things that I really like, and I, one of the things I, I loved when I worked for Apple was. Making technology really accessible to people. I think that's something that Apple sort of, you know, for a long time been really good at, which is you don't even see the technology. That was something Steve Jobs always insisted on is that it, even no, no matter how advanced something was, it should feel totally accessible to the regular person. It should be all the wires and techno babble should all be kind of tucked away. And I feel the same way about this that there doesn't need to be some, you know, tremendous cosmic understanding of, of, you know some incredibly deep you know life study of masculine and feminine you, you people can do that if they want to and i think i think einstein said if if a truth is valid you should be able and someone has mastery of that truth you should be able to explain it in a way that anybody can understand it and so for me i'm what gives me joy is being a being a translator being someone who who can walk that bridge between the very subtle and the very deep locations in practice and then come back and, and talk about it. I'd say that's, that's on one side, that's one thing which gives me joy. Uh, on the other side, I like donuts and I like fried chicken and I like M&M sometimes and I like, I like a good steak. Those things bring me joy too. I like the feeling that I get when I can feel that my wife wants something and um, she won't ask for it yet and I can just do it. And then it's like a big surprise that she never even had to ask for.
0: Mm, I love that. I know when my husband does that, he feels really chuffed with himself. (laughs) (laughs) So what's one thing you're working on within yourself at the moment or something that you'd like to improve?
1: Hmm, It's a great question. For me, being willing to speak the honest depth of desire that I feel and being willing to really give it up that like, like I'm, I'm here in my job or whatever I'm doing. Yeah. There's a choice involved with that, but like, I am so nailed by this thing. I couldn't leave if I wanted to like, that's, you know, to say that I'm, I'm a man who's like that deeply nailed by something that like, like, okay, I'm whatever. I'm in control of my own life. I'm a master of my own destiny, blah, blah, blah. And like, um, I am devoted to this, like unequivocally devoted to this. And um, I would say, I would say that's, that's one aspect of it. And then, and and just like getting sort of getting pride out of the way and like, and like renewing that and really knowing that on a daily basis, being able to be in touch with that level of surrender on a daily basis.
0: Mm, Have you read the book Radical Honesty? Uh, I have, I have read that book. Yeah. Mm, Something that uh, I'm, you know, really working on within myself as well is just to tell the truth. I love that that's something that you're really mindful and conscious of. So, thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing that with us. So, let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. What book would you choose?
1: And with Tony Robbins on this one, Tim Ferriss recently did a survey of what books would sort of like the, some of the top, you know, coaches and, and, you know, lifestyle gurus or whatever you want to call them, you know, what, what books do they most commonly recommend? And one of the things that Tony Robbins said is that, uh, he would recommend, uh, Nicole Day Doan's book called Slow Sex, The Art and Craft of the Female uh, Orgasm. Mm,
0: so good.
1: And, and I would, I would go with that one. I, I was a practitioner for about four years um, and she's coming out with a new book as well, but I remember sitting poolside reading this book of basically truths that I had been living for the last five years of my life. And it was like, have you ever heard music for the very first time that you just loved something about it? You were just like, this is the bomb. I just remember I couldn't really turn the page without laughing at something just because the truth was so intimate and so real. So that's the that's the book I would put anywhere.
0: Mm, Awesome. Yeah, it's such a goodie. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. So let's talk about your day now and how your day looks. I love hearing about people's morning routines and how they prime themselves, as Tony Robbins calls it, for the day. So can you uh, map out your morning routine for us?
1: I'm usually up at about 6.20 and... You know, my wife and I, uh, right now, she's in New York and I'm in Los Angeles. We sort of move in and out of living together and not and, and see each other once, you know, if we're not living together, it's, you know, once a week or a week and a half or so. Well, there's usually some kind of event. We're so busy that, you know, we'll see each other. But when we are living together, which, you know, happens for for periods of time, I go and get her a cup of coffee or I find I find something that she likes and I'll have that for her when she wakes up. Then we om. So we have um, one, maybe two ohms in the morning. I do a practice called um, fear inventory, which is uh, borrowed from the 12 step tradition. And that's essentially a practice where basically it goes like this. It goes, um, God, uh, I am resentful at something. And so resentment in this case doesn't actually have to necessarily be bad, but it's like, if there's something that's being replayed in your mind over and over again, if someone said something, which, you know, was upsetting to you, or let's say that I'm having some kind of feeling with my mom or something. And I'm like, ah, like she's, you know, being a jerk or my brother didn't understand me or, you know, who knows what it is. Maybe one of my housemates left their dishes out. You know, I just write, I just write an inventory. So I'll say I'm resentful at this person. And usually behind every resentment, there's some kind of fear. There's some kind of feeling of powerlessness or some kind of fear. And so I basically make a, an inventory of those fears. And um, then I call a friend, someone who is not mentioned in the inventory, uh, who knows about the practice. And then I read them all and then i tear it up and throw it away and i'll spend usually about 20 minutes or so just writing you know i usually have about 50 fears that i can i can find for every resentment that i write then i'll meditate for about you know 25 30 minutes i've got a couple morning calls that i take with one taste in the organization and i head to our center we've got we've got a center in LA and San Francisco and New York so i head to the center in London at this point and that's how i usually start my day and i i again i make some eggs I'll, i have a couple of housemates so I'll, i like making breakfast for people and so we'll do that Trying to text or you know Facebook or email too much in the morning, I don't like it. Some part of my mind that's always looking for a problem, you know, is is always keen to check out what problem can I find early in the morning, and I just don't have to do that. So I, I, I sometimes I succumb and I'm weak, but um, hopefully most of the time I wait until I actually get to the office uh, to do that kind of thing. Every now and then I just write, I write a letter to God, you know, I just say, okay, God, like here's the deal, here's what you got to know, and I pray. I, I, I tend to ask God like. Take from me the things that are not mine um, and, and leave me with the things that are. And that's basically serenity prayer, right? And the wisdoms know the difference. And then hopefully I, I can meet God and say, okay, I'm actually going to surrender and give this back to you.
0: That's really, really sweet. I uh, love that little serenity prayer. It's really beautiful. Now, I would love to hear what are three things you're most recently grateful for in your life?
1: I love this. No one's ever asked me this kind of question on a podcast. This is great. This is like the, all the other stuff is like, whatever, this is the real stuff. I'm grateful for Nicole Daydone, my teacher, like just like first and foremost, like that woman has just come in and, and taken an arrogant, self-absorbed, just, you know, ignorant, self-serving man. And has shown me um, so much kindness and so much grace and so much willingness and patience over the last nine years I couldn't be more grateful. You're actually getting a little emotional right now. I, I really couldn't be more grateful. And um, she just has a sense of timing and and perspective. She just has an incredible gift, and so I'm I'm profoundly grateful to Nicole. Daydon Um and that which comes through her. I'm grateful that at any given moment, like, see to me, Ohm is this beautiful analog for this reminder that like like bad itself the label bad is a habit. You know, if you're if you're oming, if you're doing this practice of organic meditation, you're either stroking genitals or having your genitals stroked. And if that's the case, life is pretty good. Like you can't be lying there or sitting there in an ohm and finding, so, if, if you're finding something wrong with that experience, like, like argue for that experience being anything like below good. I am grateful that um, I have chosen uh, this path with the people that I'm on with it where I get to get over my need to be liked and I get to get over my need for other people's approval for how I'm doing it.
0: Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing those. They're beautiful. Now I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. All right. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for our health?
1: Cultivate your attention your attention is your most valuable asset. Money can buy you access to things uh, externally. Uh, Only attention can buy you access to parts of yourself.
0: Love it. What is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? So more abundance in all areas, not just financially, but all areas of our life
1: acknowledge what you have. There is nothing that abundance uh, likes more than someone who says that they're, who actually declares that they're full. I believe your perfection is an argument that you have with yourself. And I think your fullness is an argument you have with God. And if you can, if you can say, you know what, like I got mine, Um, abundance loves that.
0: Mm, I love that. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life?
1: You know, learn how to be kind to yourself, and then I would say I'm. I'm again. I'm. I'm with. I'm with Saint Francis on this one. That back to our non-giver, receiver, non-dual world. You know, Lord, make me a channel of Thy peace. To where there's hatred, and may bring love, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved. For it is by self-forgiving that one finds. It is by forgiving that one is forgiven, and is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. I think that's it, right there
0: beautiful i love that and what is one thing that i personally and the listeners can do to serve you today
1: you serve me by serving what i serve cuz the thing the thing that i serve is always serving me i'm never i'm never serving it it's always serving me and and it's always got more for me than i could ever offer it and and so what I would say then is that um if if people are interested in serving that I would say treat each other well I would say do do one thing for someone in your life or for several people in your life that they would never expect that you would do and and if you're the kind of person who has that sort of background thought in your brain that's like oh I wonder if I'll get kudos you know if if I if I do something somebody really likes if I'll if I'll get some kind of um recognition, uh, do it anonymously and, and just do those random acts of anonymous good anywhere that you go.
0: Mm, I love that. And it feels so good, doesn't it? It does. Eli, this has been so amazing. And I just want to thank you for the work that you're doing for being so open, authentic, and honest. This has been such a beautiful conversation. I've really loved getting to know you more and hear more about your story and obviously Om, but I just want to thank you so much. This has been awesome.
1: Thank you so much, Melissa. It's been been everything for you to have me. I really appreciate it.
0: I'm so interested to know if you are interested in trying orgasmic meditation, so please let me know on social media. And if you got a lot out of today's episode like I did, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have. Have on the show. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 51. And you can also check out all my other episodes there too. Also, just a reminder that you can now pre-order my next book, Open Wide, The Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And if you pre-order before December 18, you can get your hands on some epic bonuses. So all you have to do is head to melissarambrosini.com forward slash open wide. Also, tickets for the open wide tour I will be doing with my husband in January and February are now available and selling fast. So head to nickandmelissa.com to get your tickets today. Thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please share it with them right now. Screenshot it, text it to them, email it to them, do whatever you have to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.